All right. That was a whole lot of stuff this morning, but now I am super excited. I'm not doing a series for the month of April. God has put specific topics on my heart, some things I've been wanting to share. And so I'm just going to take this month to freestyle and, and have some fun with various topics. Today, specifically, as we have mentioned already at the microphone, the power of renewing the mind. And so the title today is called, Have You Lost Your Mind? And I want to talk about being tough-minded, not stubborn-minded being mentally strong in the Lord. So let's pray, and I can't wait to dive in. Father, thank you for your goodness and your love this morning. Thank you for the various ways that we were able to worship you in song, in music, in testimony, in communion. So many aspects, Father. But now as we open up the word, what a privilege we have to receive from you the very word of God that brings life to our very being. And as we carve just the next couple minutes here to dive into your word, may you make it a rich time of revelation for each heart, each ear that is listening, currently, online, and in the future. May this be anointed, may you bless it, and may you use it in a powerful way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. So I want to paint a picture of one of the most trying weeks I've ever had in my life. It was towards the end of 2018. It was in the month of October, and I was just getting ready to close a church plant that I had for 18 months. Had 100 people. It was going fantastic, loving people, and they were obviously devastated when we shut down the doors. In our lives, I was facing burnout. My wife was facing one of the biggest mental challenges she's ever faced, and we simply could not physically endure anymore. And so we had to close down the church. So the month before we closed down the church, I threw my resume out there, and, and I'm just looking, you know, to find a ministry job where I'm not working for a church and also working nine hours a day full-time bivocationally to try to put food on the table. And so we got interviews all over. We flew to Seattle, and there were some here in Texas, and one church in Oregon that said, uh, we would really love uh, to talk to you and the family. So they actually uh, flew us up to Bend, Oregon, and on a Sunday over the weekend, we got to uh, see their services and uh, be a part of their fellowship there. And at nighttime, during the Sunday evening service, my son went downstairs with the youth, and they played a game called Gaga Ball, which is kind of like dodgeball, but in like a UFC octagon. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that'll make it safer. And so he accidentally somehow broke his pinky. So we're away from home. We're closing down our church, and now my son just broke his finger. And so we're away from home, so I wasn't able to get him into the doctor's until about um, uh, Monday evening or Tuesday morning. And what I didn't realize before is that the ball had stubbed his finger and broke it, but my kid, who's played uh, games with broken bones before, he's just some type of kid, right? He was giving high fives to people with the broken pinky, and one of the girls there actually squeezed his hand and made it even worse. You know, I'm sorry to make you squeamish this morning. So by the time we got to the doctors, his finger was bent out this way. And so they, they tried desperately to put it back into place, and my son's just taking a pain because he's more afraid of needles uh, and to have it numbed than he is to just have it snap back in place. And so it's not working. Now he needs surgery. So, okay, so uh, we're there. They slap a bill for the uh, urgent care of $2,000. $2,000 I didn't have. I was barely trying to get food on the table. Now he's requiring surgery, which is going to be even more money. And so I'm filling out financial aid forms and all that kind of stuff. But come Saturday, Saturday morning is his actual surgery. 
five o'clock in the morning. Five o'clock in the morning. Jesus is not even awake at five o'clock in the morning. So he has a surgery. He came out fine. He's waking up from the anesthesia, and he cracks a joke the moment he wakes his eyes, uh, opens his eyes on his first surgery. That's my kid. Um, so surgery's done. We bring him home, and I have a wedding to do that afternoon. So we're living in a Motel 6, closing my church down, apartment lease end. So kid breaks his finger. We're flying across the country to try to get a new job. We're living in a Motel 6. I have a wedding to do. And as I'm driving around town that day to find a new white shirt, I needed a new white shirt for my suit, my radiator blows up. And so I'm on the side of the road. I call AAA, thank God for AAA, and I say, look, I'm pretty sure you get these sad stories all the time. I'm a preacher. I have a wedding to do in one hour. And she says, sorry, sir, there's not a tow truck available until an hour. So, right, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I call my mom. Um, she's always the one that rescues me when, when I lived in California. And she came up and picked me up. I'm like, I'll deal with the car later. I got to get to uh, this wedding. But praise the Lord, within eight minutes, a tow truck got there, picked up my car, took it off. Um, I didn't have time to, uh, to iron anything. My mom stopped at the motel, picked up the clothes that I needed. We went to the uh, wedding, and I got there. The wedding was supposed to be at 1. I got there at 101 and was able to do it. So you can imagine, I slept really good that night uh, after a week from hell. But it was that week, plus enduring homelessness, plus enduring moving across the country, that my wife and I, when we finally got to our dream, look back and could only praise God that he gave us the strength to get through it. And all the obstacles that we faced, we kept a level head the entire time. We kept a strong mind the entire time because God has done it too many times before. God has given us the victory and the breakthrough so many times before. And that helped us to endure everything that devil threw at us. Because we know that whatever the enemy intends for evil, God can turn it around for good. But if our minds are not strong, if our hearts are not guarded, we can fall into that trap so easily to crumble in the middle of our trials rather than to say, God, this is not a surprise to you. You have a plan. Help me to be strengthened and to walk in peace and to keep my focus on you right now, God, so that I cannot lose my mind. <laughs> and so today I want to talk about have you lost your mind being mentally strong? You know, we live in a world right now full of offended people. We live in a world where this generation has become so sissified. I mean, the slightest little bit of adversity, the, the slightest little bit of trouble, and they give up. You know, the, uh, the millennials, our, our parents grew up working one job for 40 years and retiring with the Rolex, right? Well, my generation, the millennials, they get a new job every two years. It's just this constant turnaround of being bored or adversity and so forth. And we are living in a society today that falls apart on the slightest little things. The church, and much more the world, needs mentally strong people to carry out God's will and his planet. We can't live in offense. You know, I don't know if you've heard in the news or not. I don't know. I just found this out. But did you know that uh, Will Smith slapped Chris Rock in the face last week? I mean, I, I was looking for it. I looked on Facebook. I looked on the news. I couldn't find a single thing. Obviously, I'm being very sarcastic. I'm going to be so grateful when this is over. But here you have the best actor walks on stage because he's offended over a joke, and he's a comedian himself, 
slaps this guy and so forth and created this whole controversy and so forth. But personally, in my heart, because I'm a conspiracy theorist at heart, I guess, you know, of course, this is all rigged. When the Oscars have lost viewership and it's been tanking year after year after year, why don't we get Will Smith to slap Chris Rock and then everybody will be talking about the Oscars. Propaganda, media, it's nothing new. The world is constantly throwing things in our direction to try to get our minds off of the Lord and onto the media and drama and chaos and fear. That's how the news survives, with fear. But we're called as believers to have a different mindset So this is not in your notes, and it won't be on the screens, but let me just read to you real quick, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 to 6. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Some versions say strongholds. A stronghold is where you've built a a tower based upon lie after lie after lie after lie after lie after lie, And now that lie is so ingrained in your heart, it's almost immovable. But God's word and a mind set on him can destroy those strong fortresses and those towers. Verse 5, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Every thought we need to take captive to the obedience of Christ. And so it's up to us to develop a strong mind and a mind that has stayed on the Lord at all times. The devil is after your mind. Bottom line, the devil is after your mind. And the the reason is that your mind is the first open door that gives access to your heart. How do you change your heart? You change your thoughts. How do you change your life? You renew your mind. And so the enemy knows that if he can get to your mind, that he can ultimately get to your heart, change your behavior, change your hope, install fear in your heart, and get you in your own power to walk away from God. And I found as I was reflecting on this, how interesting it is that our minds and our free will are one of the only places in our world, in our lives, that we have full control and where God doesn't necessarily intervene. You know, God didn't baby-proof the Garden of Eden. He put free will and said, here's your choices, good and bad. Do this and live, do this and die. And he didn't stop them. And so we have so much control over our own thoughts that God at times, he's sovereign, but at times won't interfere. And so it's up to us to be even more attuned to our thoughts and to keeping them guarded because in a sense, it's all up to us. And the devil knows this. It's his playing ground, his open field, to try to invade, to get to our hearts. So we have to develop a strong mind. I want to look today in our main scripture um, to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 21. And this uh, very back and forth, emotionally unstable King David. I love the stories. I can spend years in the book of 1 Samuel and all the stories of King David. Chapter 21 is a very short chapter, about 15 verses, and I want to read the entire thing. Uh, There's some lessons in here that I feel we can glean from on how we cannot do what David did, but instead have a strong mind. As always, I'm reading out of the New American Standard, beginning in verse 1. 1 Samuel 21, verse 1. Then David came to Nob of Ahimelech, the priest. And Ahimelech came trembling to meet David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one is with you? David said to Ahimelech, the priest, 
The king has commissioned me with the matter and has said to me, let no one know anything about the matter on which I am sending you and which I have commissioned you, and I have directed the young men to a certain place. Now, therefore, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever can be found. The priest answered David and said, there is no ordinary bread on hand, but there is consecrated bread if only the young men have kept themselves from women. David answered the priest and said to him, Surely women have been kept from us, as previously when I set out the vessels of the young men uh, were holy, though it was an ordinary journey, how much more than today our vessels be holy. Now this is controversial because um, some people think that David sinned here because he broke Levitical law. But we know in the Gospels, Jesus tells a story of when the disciples are picking grains um, from the wheat. They're like, whoa, it's a Sabbath. You can't do that. And Jesus reminds them of this story in in 1 Samuel 21 and and says, listen, the law was made for man, not man made for the law. You know, it's not the way that you see it. The law is not God. The law was put in place to help and to serve man. So it goes back and forth. But the show bread is pretty interesting because bread in the Bible is a symbol of God's provision. It's a symbol of his presence. And in the tabernacle, they have all the articles there of getting to the holies of holies, the manifest presence of God. Jesus said he was basically the I am statements were what were in the tabernacle. But there was this table, much like this here, made of wood that was completely overlaid in gold. It had some rings on the side so the priest can stick a pole in and carry it without touching it, defiling themselves or possibly dying. And then on the table were these uh, 12 loaves, basically like imagine pizza dough five pounds each. And then on top of it was uh, some frankincense. So every week the priest would have this bread made, the aroma would fill the entire camp, and it was a symbol of the very presence of God. And it was said that throughout the week, that bread never got stale. Amen. I pray that over my loaf of bread all the time, every week, it never works. (laughs) And then they would replace it. So this was the bread that David took. Basically, he's on an assignment and he's recognizing the presence of God, and he's recognizing the provision of God. Well, let's continue. Um, Verse 6, So the priest gave him consecrated bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which was removed before the Lord in order to be put hot bread in its place when it was taken away. Now one of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg the Edomite, the chief of Saul's shepherds. David said to Himelech, now, is there not a spear or a sword on hand? For I brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's matter was urgent. And the priest said, the sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, behold, it is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you would take it for yourself, take it, for there is no other except it here. And David said, there is none like it, give it to me. Now, it's the action movie lover in me. And maybe it's just a man in me that says, yes, take the sword, this giant sword of a giant that you chop his head off with his own sword. And you're going to carry out this secret top secret mission from the king with the sword. I'm like, yes, yes. You know, this is going to be an awesome story like so many others that there were, but not so much. In, in verse 10, then David arose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achash, king of Gath. But the servants of Achash said to him, is this not David, the king of the land? And they did not sing one of, of, and as they danced, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. David took these words to heart and greatly feared Achish, son of Gath, or king of Gath. 
So he disguised his sanity before them and acted insanely in their hands and scribbled on the doors of the gate and let his saliva run down his beard. That's really gross. Then, especially when I just talked about beards in the church, L. <laughs> Verse 14. Then Achash said to the servants, Behold, who you see this man behaving as a madman, why do you bring him to me? Do I lack madmen that you may have brought this one to act as a madman in my presence? And so my, my heart kind of collapsed when I, the first time I read that years ago. I said, I thought David was going to take this sword and go to town and, and have another victory like he's done time after time. But when he went towards the area he was supposed to, people started to recognize him and fear gripped his heart. And in, as a coward, he didn't fulfill what God called him to do. He crumbled under the pressure. David, who once killed giants, is now afraid of another person. It made no sense to me. And the only difference was that his mind wasn't strong in that moment. And so from this story, a few things I want to encourage you with. If you're taking notes in your bulletin, the first thing, if we want to have a strong mind in the faith, number one, keep your faith in the right kingdom. Keep your faith in the right kingdom. Uh, I heard a story from Joel Osteen, uh, Lakewood Church, big old mega church down in Houston. And uh, years ago, I heard this story that he played basketball in high school, but his dad was never around, John Osteen. I don't know if you've ever listened to John Osteen. That brother can throw down, I love me, some John Osteen. He's a fiery Pentecostal-type preacher. And he was always busy with crusades and traveling and speaking, so he wasn't always at his son's basketball games. But one day, as Joel is about to play uh, a game, he sees his dad walk into the gym. Now, normally that's a cause for celebration, but his dad was a preacher. His dad always wore suits. His dad had no street clothes. So his dad walks in with khaki shorts. This was the first time that Joel had ever seen his dad's legs. He said, oh, my Lord, they were, they were whiter than the glory of God itself, right? <laughs> of course, he didn't own sneakers. You know, what preacher owned sneakers? And so he had khaki shorts, Casper the Friendly Ghost legs, and then he had black shiny dress shoes with black socks. And that's how he shows up to the gym. He was embarrassed, but he said, my dad is here and my dad wants to watch me. He said he played the best game he had ever played because his dad was watching. Let me just say, we can't have a fear of man. We can't live to please people. We need to live to please the Father, bottom line. And our hearts should not want to impress people, but to be before God. And a strong mind begins when we can stay focused on God at all times. I heard one preacher say that fear is really just faith in another kingdom. Because faith in the Greek, paistis, it means a conviction of truth. So you're either convinced that my life is full of doom and fear and calamity, or you're convinced by the word of God and your renewed thoughts that he is for me, not against me, and no, no weapon formed against me will prosper. So we got to keep our faith in the right kingdom. I read one statistic in my time of study this week that said, on average, human beings in their minds speak 300 to 1,000 words to themselves every minute, every minute. I mean, and never mind the fact of the media, never mind advertisement, never mind your thoughts flowing, never mind the temptations of the enemy. All this is going on in your brain minute by minute by minute. So the thought of keeping a strong mind and renewing your mind is not this elementary teaching we give to our kids and teach it one time and hope it sticks. 
No, this is something that we need to purposely work at minute by minute, day after day. As Jesus was so in tune with the Father, sentence by sentence, only doing what he sees the Father doing, only saying what he hears the Father saying, you and I need to do the same. We need to work diligently at keeping our minds renewed. And in Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 5 through 6, I love it. It says that those whose minds are set on the flesh will produce death. But those whose minds are set on the spirit produces life. And we have that choice on what we're going to set our minds on. The second thing is to keep your mind constantly prepared. Keep your mind constantly prepared. Over a year ago, we had the snowpocalypse or Alaska, or however you wanted to say that giant snowstorm we had over a year ago. Now, I'm the type of guy that loves to prepare. You know, if I had the money, I would totally have a bunker. I would totally be a doomsday prepper ready for the zombies. You know, we have dehydrated food and water and all that. Well, the snowstorm was no surprise, right? Five days before the weather, people are going, this is going to be catastrophic. This is going to be the worst snowstorm we've had in years. I said, okay, well, I'm from California. We don't have those. And so I went to my Kroger, and I got boxes and boxes of those four-hour fire logs, and I got gallons and gallons of water, and I got tons of snack foods that we didn't need to cook because I knew if the power went out in my house, everything is electric. So the heater's out, the stove is out, the oven is out. I got a couple bags of charcoal in case I needed to cook outside, which I did in nine-degree weather, cooking dinner outside because we had no electricity for the whole week. I was prepared. But at that time, at the last church that I was at, I was hearing all these stories about the senior pastor in his four-by-four going out and bringing supplies to everybody. One single mom and her, her kid, they lived in a townhome. She was chopping up their furniture to use as firewood. And of course, that broke my heart, and we brought them supplies. But in the back of my head, I'm like, why didn't you prepare? You knew this was coming. If you didn't have the money, ask us. We would have brought it to you. But why wait until it happened? Why take the gamble? Why take a gamble of waiting to prepare our minds until the, the enemy shows up or the trial shows up? In our minds, we have to be prepared. In 1 Peter 1.13, it says, prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action and be sober in spirit. In the Greek, that word um, prepare is when, you know, in the Middle East, you had on the, uh, the fashion was the long flowy robes in that heat of the day and so forth. To be prepared, the Greek defines it as when you have to pull that up and tie it and put a belt around so that you're ready to run. When the prodigal son came home, the father had to gird up his loins. He had to tie everything up so that he could run to his son. That's what it means to be prepared, that at any moment you got your running shoes on and you're ready to go. Being ready in and out of season. Proverbs 24.10 says, if you are slack in the day of distress, your strength is limited. We have to keep our hearts filled with truth, keep our minds renewed. I had a friend, a pastor, who was one of those people that can spit scriptures off, no problem. He had a parallel Bible. It had four versions in it, the uh, NIV, the uh, Amplified, the King James Version, and the New American Standard. And he would read uh, about an hour a day. And in the course of a year, he would have read the Bible four times in four different translations just by going through that, that book. He also had a key ring on his turn signal in his car that had a ton of three by five cards of tons of scripture. So every time he was at a red light, I'm not telling you to do this. Stay safe out there. Stay alert while you're driving. But while he was at a, at a red light, he'd pull that off and he would be going over scripture. 
I'm telling you, he could just rattle off scripture like nobody I've ever known before, but it's up to us to prepare our minds for the day of action. It's up to us to keep a strong mind. And we do that by ingesting the word of God, staying in a place of keeping our minds renewed. Then finally, number three, we want to keep our faith in the right kingdom. We want to keep our minds prepared. But finally, don't be a solo soldier. Don't be a solo soldier. I'm uh, currently enrolled in a, in a master's program, uh, Master of Divinity right now, and I'm taking a New Testament class, and I wrote a paper on the book of Psalms this past week. And what I found about the Psalms is that it was one of the only ways that the Word of God would stay on the people's minds. Because in every temple service and every celebration, they were constantly singing and praying the Psalms all the time. Before the 1500s and the invention of the printing press, the Bible wasn't readily available like we have it today. The Bible itself was a communal book. You would go to the synagogue and the priest would roll the scroll and pick a selection to read out loud, but the public declarer of, of Scripture wasn't a common thing. It was very rare. But for the Psalms, from the little kid all the way on up, you had the Psalms in your heart because you were constantly singing it, going over it. The Bible itself was meant to be a community book. We were never meant to do this, this faith, this Christianity alone. It was never meant to be an individual sport. We're always supposed to do it together. Now, I know that we can become very weak-minded when we keep ourselves in isolation. Now, that doesn't mean that you live by yourself and you're isolated. No, I mean you keep yourself from people. Because I know many friends, I know some that are watching, that text me every single day, and they live by themselves, but they're not alone. And they have a community, right? And if we keep ourselves isolated away from people, it's very easy to get weak-minded because you stay trapped in your own thoughts. You stay locked in and, and rehearse and go over and over all the different things. We, we have to push ourselves out of our comfort zones and get around some people, whether that's electronically or physically. I so love what God is doing right now in the Foursquare. Never have I had such close friendships with pastors in my own denomination. And every Wednesday, all these pastors are getting together and we're just doing life together. And every Wednesday, when I walk away from my little coffee dates with my pastor friends, and I walk away, I have so many new ideas that I would have gotten if I just done this life by myself. I also walk away like, man, I'm so glad to be a pastor. Man, I'm so glad to be in Duncanville. I was born for this. I get so fired up because you got like-minded people just going to town about our dreams and, and what the Lord is doing and what he's saying to us. And I leave fired up. It's the best pick-me-up I have in the middle of the week. But my, my normal nature is just to want to do it all by myself because I can do it faster by myself and I don't have to train anybody, which takes time, and I can just do it myself and I can do it great by myself. No, God has called us to be in community. We can't be a solo soldier. So whether that's a small group that you do once a week, whether you're on a text thread and, and a community with people, whether you go to coffee with somebody each and every week, do life together with people. We need each other. And finally, let me just conclude with this. When it comes to keeping a strong mind, we're not alone. We have divine supernatural help. We all know the story in 1992 at the Olympics that a British uh, runner uh, named Derek Redman, who, as he's going around living his dream on the final stretch about to cross the, the, the finish line, he gets a sharp pain that shoots across his hamstring. Pastor Wally, you know what this is all about, don't you? You know, that terrible pain of that muscle being pulled in his case, a muscle that was torn. And he collapsed flat on his face. And then this big man in a t-shirt 
jumps past security and runs up to him. And in fact, that was his dad. So he picks his son up because his son was trying to continue in this excruciating pain. And the father said, you don't have to do this. And he goes, yes, I do. Then the father took his arm, put it around him and said, then we're going to do this together. And they walked across that finish line. He didn't get a medal, but he had not only a memory with his dad, but he left an inspiring story for the rest of the world to not give up and to not quit and to not do it on your own. So the father got up from his place and met his son to help him finish his race. Jesus from the throne of heaven got off of his throne and came down in the form of a man to die for us and what we celebrated communion to provide the way back to the Father, to fill us with the Holy Spirit, to take all the condemnation away, but ultimately to say, I have a race for you to run, but you don't have to run it by yourself. I am with you. I will be with you step by step. I will come alongside as the helper, the Holy Spirit says. So family, we have a great hope. We got a great encouragement to know that God wants us to walk with a strong mind. He doesn't want us to give up so soon. He doesn't want us to crumble at the smallest little adversity that comes our way. He's equipped us with all that we need, but it's on us to do the effort of keeping this thing renewed, keeping our hearts guarded, and making sure we're in a community of people, and we welcome the help of the Holy Spirit to do everything he has called us to do and to walk in alignment with his will. So Father, we love you so much this morning. We thank you for our, our time. We cherish the times of fellowship. Thank you for all who could be here today and those who could not but are watching online. Thank you for this rich fellowship of, of worshiping you together, being in this body, strengthening each other, hearing the stories of the testimonies and the prayers and how we're there for each other. Thank you, Father, for this great spiritual family. And now as we enter a new week, God, a new month, a new week, we thank you for the grace that's upon every one of us to walk in your peace, to walk in your power, and to continue to be used by you in the way you see fit. I pray you protect, you heal, and you strengthen all my friends here today that nothing would hinder us from running our race and nothing would hinder us from being more sensitive in your presence, receiving you more. Bless us as we go about. May we go in your joy and your peace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Y'all have a wonderful week, and if there's any need that you have for prayer, for healing, we'll have some wonderful people up here that would love to pray with you. Other than that, be blessed. Have a great one.